Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder, you know, a founder that has gone from being a researcher to really building a rocket ship. You know, he's doing that now with his team, and we're going to be learning a lot about all the good stuff that we like to hear. You know, particularly today, we're going to be talking about identifying the right people for building the right type of culture that you're envisioning, finding the right type of investors in this current macro environment that we're living in, and then also how to go about Basically, finding pharma partners and then also how you go about really building the assets that you end up bringing to the table. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sharif Tabert Bord Bar. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So originally born and raised in Iran. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? Yeah, so I was born in Shiraz in Iran to a middle-class family. Uh, my dad was uh, an accountant and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I have one younger brother. And uh, I think the main thing that I do remember from my childhood is that uh, the struggle that we had as a family uh, with watching my dad losing his ability to walk, to do his daily tasks, to be independent. Um, because of a muscle disease that we didn't know what it is. We knew that uh, he's losing his strength, he's losing his ability to perform his task independently, but uh, there was no treatment available. So that really inspired me to get into science, to try to learn about genetics and how we can use the knowledge that you know is uh, being generated by scientists to potentially develop treatments for genetic muscle diseases. And uh, I went to college in Iran, uh, University of Tehran. Uh, I got a master's degree, and then I applied to schools in the U.S. that had research programs on muscular dystrophies. Uh, I did my Ph.D. at Harvard studying muscular dystrophy, uh, developing gene therapy and gene editing approaches, uh, specifically for Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which is a form of genetic muscle disease affecting young kids. Then uh, I worked in industry for a little bit, came back to academia, to the Broad Institute at MIT, and focused really on one of the biggest challenges in uh, gene therapy. Uh, gene therapy is... A therapeutic strategy that can basically deliver the healthy copy of genes that are broken in different types of genetic diseases to the body. And we usually use non-pathogenic viruses for, for doing that. You basically use them as some FedEx delivery truck, and you load them with the gene that you would like to deliver to the tissues, and then you give them instructions that you need to go to this specific tissue or that. I was mostly interested in muscles. So most of the viruses that are currently used in gene therapy clinical trials are so-called naturally carrying viruses. So basically, these are viruses that are uh, present in nature and uh, 
The problem with them is that when they are injected into the bloodstream as a gene delivery mortality, majority of them go to the liver. And there's only a very few percentage of these viruses that get into the tissue that you're interested in. So that results in the need for injection of very high amount of virus and also safety issues, including liver toxicity or kidney injury or activation of the complement system for the immune system. So what we did was we used this strategy called directed evolution, uh, which is basically engineering the proteins on the surface of these viruses to give them instructions that instead of going into the liver, go to the muscle tissue. And we developed this uh, technology that enables us to basically achieve similar therapeutic efficacy uh, with naturally occurring viruses, but lower the dose significantly. And that's the main cause of toxicity. So when we developed this technology, then I got connected to uh, two of the other co-founders of uh, the company that we're currently running, K-Therapeutics, who had extensive experience in, in the biotech world. And we basically joined forces by bringing in science and also uh, expertise in company building and putting the infrastructure together to start K-Therapeutics uh, basically in 2021. And we'll, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit here. You know, I'm wondering, because you were alluding to the work that you did at MIT, uh, but, you know, obviously when you did your undergrad, you did your master's degree too there in Iran, at what point do you realize, hey, I want to I wanna go to the U.S.? I think it was when I was in college. I could see that U.S. is the land of opportunity, the highest quality of research in the field that we are doing was being performed here. And uh, yeah, that was that was basically my dream, that I would like to uh, join such a research community and try to contribute to the community as, as much as I can. And eventually you came here to the U.S. to do your Ph.D. program at none other place than Harvard. So uh, how was it like, you know, coming here to the U.S., seeing, you know, the culture around you? the American dream, you know, like, how, how was that for you? Was it like a, a big culture shock? It was a huge culture shock. When I first came here, uh, at first I didn't have enough self-confidence, specifically going directly to Harvard. Like, there were a lot of very smart, articulate people around me. And uh, it was intimidating, intimidating, very intimidating, actually, in the beginning, uh, so that I find myself in the new culture, in the new community, to find friends, to actually regain my confidence that uh, I can I can be. So when I was in Iran, I was one of the best students in the school that I was uh, studying in. And then I went to this whole new environment and everybody looked much better than me. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to rebuild myself. I need to make sure that I can get used to the new situation. And that was very hard. The first couple of years in the U.S. Uh, uh, was extremely difficult. Yeah, I, I, I can see that too. Like you in Iran being someone that would stand out, right? And, uh, you know, given your passion and, and, and what you were doing there. And then all of a sudden you come to the U.S. and now you're in Harvard and you're looking around you and it's like the best of the best from every, you know, other place, you know, on earth, you know, that they're going there. How do you think that, uh, because I mean, I, I can't stop to think how you may have questioned yourself, 
you know, asking yourself if you were good enough to be there to compete against, you know, others, because also you're competing against others too, no? So how was that process for you? How was that thought process and in, 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 in just being, gaining that confidence to know that everything was going to be okay? That, that's a very good question. Uh, it was a very humbling experience, I would say. So when I, when I first came, I was not calibrated. I uh, did not know where I stand. And then interacting with my classmates, with other people who were doing research at the highest level in the world, uh, I had a ton to learn. I had to learn that, okay, like maybe I'm good in certain aspects of doing research or uh, these are areas that are my strengths, but I have a lot of weaknesses and I need to really work on that. So it took me, it took me some time. It took me at least a couple of years to work on the areas that I did not have the proper education for, I did not have any experience on, and to build that from scratch. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the type of education that I got in Iran was, I think it was good education, but it was a different level. And I had to, I had to start working on areas that I did not get exposure to when I came here. Uh, so it was, it was very humbling. Now, let's say fast forward to what you were talking about earlier, because, you know, after this, you ended up working for the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. And at one point, the idea of Kate Therapeutics comes knocking, you know, with the co-founders. So walk us through what were the sequence of events to you to say, hey, you know, we're packing the bags, we're going to San Diego. Yeah. So... After I graduated, I had a short stint in biotech uh, in, the same, in the same field. I was basically trying to develop gene editing therapeutics uh, for genetic muscle disease. And uh, the issue there was they, they couldn't justify to investors that we need to put resources into this because there was no, no good delivery modality to deliver these genes or gene editing components into the muscle. So I took a step back. I was like, this is very disappointing. This is what I want to do with my life. But it makes sense. Like, if there is no good technology to get this done, we need to fix that first. So I was like, okay, I need to go back to academia and start working on this because you can't really answer this type of fundamental questions in an industry setting. So I went to the Broad Institute and I started working on this problem. In the back of my mind, I always was like, I'm probably going to be an academic scientist. Or, uh, do a few years of research here, and then I'll start my own lab. But then when this technology was developed and we saw the potential, not only in mice, not only in human cells in vitro, but also in non-human primates, we're like, okay, if I really want to make a difference, this is my chance. If I really want to develop a drug that can get into patients, we need to take this to the finish line. And that was where we started to engage more uh, with people who could actually help as a team to build the company. Uh, it was the maturation of the technology and the potential that it had to address one of the main challenges in the field of muscle gene therapy. And I guess, uh, what was the process also? How, how did you meet your co-founders? Uh, it was through a very good friend of mine, uh, Eric Fang, who I used to go to a school with. And... Uh, he was involved in another company with uh, uh, Kevin and Mark, and he basically 
introduced me to them. And then we had a few Zoom calls and we clicked. Uh, so we started thinking about putting a company together. And uh, yeah, and then we went through the whole process of fundraising. They were actually trying to start a gene therapy company uh, a few months before. And the main challenge that they had from investors was uh, you don't have really good delivery modalities to get this into, into the muscle. So what the technology that we developed was actually the answer to that question. Uh, so I think it was a really good match at that point. So for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being Kate Therapeutics? I think Kate Therapeutics started as a muscle gene therapy company. And then it has evolved over time. So the main mission is the same, is developing effective gene therapies for genetic and heart muscle disease. Uh, the, how we go after that has evolved during the last two years. So we, we started thinking about using really interesting cargo technologies, really interesting gene regulation technologies. But then over time, I think it kind of evolved in delivery is the main issue. Like we need to make sure that we have effective uh, delivery modalities, effective viruses that we can get the transgene that we want to target tissue. And then we need to incorporate other technologies also to express them as physiological levels, to make sure that you don't express your transgene in off-target tissues. Uh, so that's from a scientific level. And uh, from a logistic level, I think it has started from a bunch of Zoom calls and ideas that what we want to do, what diseases we want to go after. And then it went to presentations to investors and raising enough money and finding a lab space and building the lab structure. When we got our first space, we had to do a lot of constructions to build like the lab benches, the cell culture rooms that we needed. So the whole process was quite a ride. It was basically starting from this ideas, a lot of conversations during the pandemic. We, we actually built the company during the pandemic. Uh, and then to actually physically go to a lab space, build a team, and try to work on uh, different patients. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C 
all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And what about on the team? You know, how did you guys go about identifying the right people, you know, that would match the culture? That was also a very challenging experience because we are we are a very patient-focused com- company. Like I personally obviously have immediate family members who are affected by genetic muscle disease. My other, our other co-founder, Eric Fang, he also has his family members affected by genetic muscle disease. This is not something that we developed a technology and we want to just making use of it. This is our mission for our life, right? Like this is what we have been working towards uh, through our, our whole adult life. And we would like to bring people who have similar visions, who care about developing medicines that can actually change the lives of patients. Uh, so that's what we really focus on when we interview people, when we try to bring people into the team. We want to make sure that it's not only about developing technology and making money out of it. Uh, it's about developing effective drugs that can actually bring to the clinic and show it works. And then what about the investors? You know, you guys have raised quite a bit of money. So how much capital have you guys raised today? We have raised uh, $51 in venture capital, and we have had uh, partnerships with Pharma as well. Now, $51 you know, especially as a Series A, you know, that you guys did, is a lot of money, especially in this environment. How are you guys able to raise that kind of money in this macro craziness that we're experiencing. Yeah. So it's, we're very lucky to have very supportive investors. I have to say that. Uh, we worked with uh, Westlake Village Boy Partners and their Ventures, and they both are very sophisticated uh, investors in the field, uh, specifically in the gene therapy, gene and cell therapy. Uh, so I think one of the reasons that we went with our investors is the previous connections that Kevin, our CEO, had uh, with the investors from the from his previous life. But at the same time, it's the fact that they actually understand the field. They understand what the challenges are. They understand that what are the main issues that they need to be addressed and how to deploy resources to address those type of questions. I think it's very important to work with investors who have a very good understanding of the field. Obviously, everybody wants return on their investment, but at the same time, if you, if you know what the risk associated with your technology is, then you, you can think about backup plans. You can think about, okay, like what if this issue happens when you move towards achieving your milestones? and plan accordingly. So those type of conversations is going to be much easier. If you need to pivot from one program to another program, they completely understand the issues, the challenges, and they can actually give you very good feedback. Like in our board meetings, we get really helpful feedback on what if you do this, or what if you take this other strategy as a backup strategy. They also have other companies in the in their portfolio that work in like similar areas and we have collaborations with those companies. So like making those type of connections, providing you with um, resources through their network, that has been that has been really helpful. Uh, I think we, we got very lucky to have uh, those type of supportive investors who are actually very savvy in terms of the technology that we're working. 
And, you know, the, the, the fact that you talked about resources there, I think is something very important because most investors, they say that they are adding value. Obviously, not all of them are capable of adding value, but I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are listening to us right now and that are thinking about raising money too. Uh, and it's not about the money. It's about the network. It's about the resources that comes with the money. So in your experience here, what has been, you know, so valuable about the resources? What, what do those resources, when they are positive and they are adding value, what do they look like? So a lot of it is enabling us to pursue multiple parallel strategies for critical path questions, right? Like there is always risk associated with when you have only one shot at goal. And what we do is that we try to work with our investors to deploy our resources uh, into the most important problems, but make sure that always there's a plan B and there's a plan C. If uh, something happens pursuing a specific strategy, then we have a, we have a way forward. Uh, I think that's, that's one of the ways that we really appreciate the resources that we're given. The other one is a strategic insight that uh, they think about it from a much higher uh, perspective compared to like we're deep in the details of like, how can we get this work? But then they look at it and was like, okay, like, does it even make sense to go this road? Or maybe you should try this other strategy as well because they have all these companies in their portfolio and they, they can provide that kind of macro perspective to us, which is extremely helpful. Or even like every time we have a board meeting, it's, it's like a, a PhD qualification exam for me. And it's like, it's extremely detailed. Is uh, They ask very good questions about the... Uh, about the science, but at the same time, they provide really, really nice feedback that we can adjust our uh, strategy, not only in doing science, but also business strategy in general. And as we are here discussing about partnerships, because obviously those are partners that you're onboarding, let's talk about a different flavor of partners, and those are pharma companies. How, how do you go about getting you know, those ones as well enrolled in, in what you guys are up to? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, I mean, we are in the field of cell gene therapy, and there are many different indications. Some of them we can pursue ourselves, but our technology allows us to contribute to a lot of different indications. And uh, that's where partnerships come in, right? Like if we uh, find opportunities that we necessarily don't want to uh, pursue to the finish line as a startup company because we need to focus, then those are areas that we, uh, we start conversations with bigger pharma. Uh, bigger pharma are currently, obviously, more interested in much larger indications uh, based on the current climate. So there is always this uh, discussion, internal discussion, that what are the indications that we would like to move forward internally compared to what we would like to partner, because obviously they have much more resources uh, and there are certain indications that have higher risk than others. Uh, for a biotech company, I think it's very, a startup biotech, it's very important to choose your lead indications very wisely that you can prove your platform, that you can show that the first indication that you move towards the clinic uh, is, is the right one. It's basically has the lowest risk possible because that defines your success in the future. Uh, pharma have different levels of 
uh, tolerance for risk, right? Like if, uh, and they take other factors into consideration. So uh, that's how we think about it. The indications that we probably won't pursue ourselves, we would like to enable the field or other uh, potential pharma partners to pursue that. Now, in that case, you know, obviously there is a um, a thing about vision here that is that is critical, no? And and whether it's with employees, with investors, even with with partners. So, to that end, if you were to go to sleep tonight, Sharif, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Kate Therapeutics is fully realized, what does that world look like? I think we would have. <laughs> very potent and safe medicines for a variety of genetic muscle disease indications. I think once that's done, we probably would expand the horizons to other fields, to basically uh, other genetic diseases, or maybe even at some point non-genetic diseases that we can address with our technology. So our vision is to take it one step at a time, right? To basically think about what are the unique advantages of our technology? What are the main issues that we can resolve? Do that first and take the first step very strong, do it right. And once you show that it's possible in the clinic, at the end of the day, it's all about if your technology is going to work in people, right? Like when, when you get clinical data, uh, at least in our field, uh, you can get a lot of preclinical data in mice and human primates, but at the end of the day, the truth comes when you get your clinical information. Uh, so the vision is to get there, uh, put our best foot forward to get to that stage. And after that, think about what are going to be the next indications, right? Like we're going to have a lot of room in the uh, genetic muscle and heart disease. But after that, we have our technology enables us to basically develop better delivery modalities for any other target tissue that we would like to go after. So we can expand our horizons and we can uh, go after non-genetic diseases in the future as well. So now we, we're talking about the future here, but I want to talk about the past and doing so with a lens of reflection. So imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back to the moment where you guys were thinking about starting the company and you have the chance of sitting all of you guys you know, down and, and being able to look across the table and to give one piece of advice before launching the business? What would that be and why, given what you know now? One piece of advice. I think the most important piece of advice is pick your colleagues. Pick colleagues that you can work with. I think one of the major factors that I believe have made our team successful is that we can work really well together. We have reasonable people that they put their ego aside when they want to make decisions, we have very reasonable, logical conversations and we come to decisions together. I think that you, you can never do really transformative work alone. You need to always work with the team. And it's really important that the people in your team are reasonable, logical, capable people who you can work with. I think that that would be the most important piece of advice. So for the people that are listening, Sharif, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? I think LinkedIn or uh, I think LinkedIn would be the best way, I believe. Well, <laughs> well, easy enough, Sharif. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. 
if you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.